For those I haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, I'm Jason. I'm the pastor of New Hope Church. Today we are going to talk about one of the most important things that we can discuss. It's not like every Sunday is optional, but today in particular, it's really important. We're going to talk about prayer. Because we were made to pray. And what I mean by that is not that we were made to sit in a meditative pose or whatever you imagine when you think about prayer, becoming very serious and solemn. What I mean is we were made to have a, a, a living relationship with our Creator. And prayer is the primary way that we communicate with God, our Creator. And it's also the lens by which we discern His activity in our lives. We pray for something, we see Him answer, and we give Him glory. I had a, a, a friend of mine who's a pastor tell me he was feeling guilty about not praying much. He's actually a church planter. He said, I know I need to be praying. I've, I, just am, I just imagined I'd be praying more by this stage in my ministry, but I'm not praying a lot. And he said, I just believe God's in control of everything, and he's going to do what he's going to do. And I said, well, that's true. God is in control of everything, and his will might be established through your prayers, but even if he chooses to do it, apart from your prayer, guess what's going to happen? Something's going to happen, and if you didn't ask God for it, you would kind of accept it like, oh yeah, of course, he's, of course this happened. But if it's something that you labor in prayer for, and you ask God for it, and you ask with perseverance, and you ask with faith, then when he answers that, your heart's going to be filled with wonder and thanksgiving. So this is the way that we not only communicate with God, but it's the way that we begin to see his activity permeate our lives because we are praying. We're asking God for these things. God has created us for this relationship. Paul puts it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. He says, pray without ceasing. Now, at some point, you've got to stop talking, right? But I think what he's trying to say is what I've described here. It's a praying life. It's a life of prayer where you're in constant communication with God. Right? You're just you're aware of his nearness and you're making your needs and your requests known before him and you're seeing him answer. That's what I'd love for all of us, myself included. I'd love for us to engage God throughout our day and experience his nearness and, and his presence and to see his activity permeate our lives. But in order for this to happen, we need beliefs and practices. Both are important. Some of us have the right beliefs about God and the right beliefs about prayer, but we don't have the practices. What do I mean by that? We don't have routines and rituals that orient us towards God. So you have a relationship with God on the fly, like when you're making a sandwich or when you're on your way to work or class or wherever you go. You've got the right beliefs, but you don't have regular, consistent routines and rituals that orient you towards God. Others of you have all the rituals and all the routines. You've got all those structures in place, but you don't have the right beliefs about God. You might not think he's good or generous or kind, or you might have the wrong beliefs about yourself. And so because you have the right routines and rituals, right practices, but the wrong beliefs, you struggle to pray. Both are, both are necessary. Today we are going to look at beliefs. We're going to look at five foundational beliefs in order to have what we described as a praying life. And as you hear these things, I want you to ask yourself, which of these do I struggle with? Where maybe you're not sure why you struggle to pray, but when you hear these five beliefs, maybe it'll help you locate, I think this is why I struggle with praying consistently or for, for struggle with having prayer permeate my life. 
Maybe it's absent, or maybe you struggle with it. Let's look at the five, all right? The first thing, the first belief. Belief in God's welcome. Belief in God's welcome. It's important to start with this belief before we get anywhere else. Because you're not going to pray if you don't think God welcomes you. You're not going to pray if you think he's, he's just constantly folding his arms, irritated with you, frustrated with you. You're not going to pray unless you believe his arms are wide open to you whenever you call upon him, even now. If you wanted to, like, ignore me and start talking to God, like, you won't do that unless you think he has a welcoming posture. Most of us, when it comes to our experience of God's welcome, it's we doubt he's, 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 he's welcoming us, right? Or we doubt if he cares. We doubt he's listening. We doubt if he's paying attention. Or if you do think he welcomes you, that you think he just tolerates you during that time. He's just putting up with you, right? And all of this represents what we think about his posture towards us. But let's look, let's look at Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, which Amaury read for us. It's on the back of your bulletin here. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now here's the question I want you to ask yourself as we think about belief in God's welcome. When you think about praying, let's say you're not a Christian and you're not sure how Christians do this, or you're a new believer, or you're a mature believer, whatever it is. When you think about praying, do you go to God with confidence? If not, ask yourself why. Or let's look at this verse here, what Paul says in, his church, in this letter to the churches in Ephesus, Ephesians 3, 12. In him, that's in Jesus, through faith in him, through faith in Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and again, confidence. Ask yourself, do you go to God like that? Do you, do you approach God with timidity, shyness, and constraint? It's not the way he wants you to go to him. He wants you to go boldly, with confidence, with freedom. If you go with shyness, with timidity, and with restraint, then you're in, it may be because you're putting your confidence in something else. Because of Jesus and because of our faith in Jesus, we can go to God today with boldness. We could go with freedom. We could go without inhibition because we know that because of Jesus, his arms are wide open to us. And if you're struggling with that, you want to ask yourself, well, where have I placed my confidence? This implies that God welcomes us with wide open arms because of Jesus. You see, we, go to, we love God because he first loved us. I want to tell you, family, that is always the order. It'll never, it'll never work the other way around. If you think that you are the primary pursuer in your relationship with God, which I know what that's like. If you feel like you're trying and struggling, if you feel like you are the one who does the pursuing primarily, at some point you're going to get burned out. You get frustrated with God. You'll just wonder, like, why am I even trying? And it's because you think that God is responding to you, that he's not welcoming you. You're, you're trying to get his attention. 
But if you realize, no, God pursued you first. He loved you first. And it's in Jesus and it's in confidence in what he has done first that I could go with confidence and I can go with boldness and freedom. When you have that belief, prayer makes sense. So let's do a little exercise. I want you to ask, answer this question. Which of these tends to describe your experience of God's welcome? You ready? God wants nothing to do with me. Is that how you experience God's welcome? He wants nothing to do with me. God tolerates me. God tolerates me. He puts up with me. He endures me. Number three, God delights in my prayer, but he's often disappointed because I could probably do better. I was losing focus, ran out of time. So he delights in it, but he's a little disappointed. Or the fourth, God loves me more than I could imagine, is delighted when I pray, and welcomes me as I am. Let me say that again. God loves me more than I could imagine, more than my greatest description and imagining of his love. Like, he loves me more than that, and beyond that, he's delighted when I pray, and he welcomes me as I am. Unless it's that fourth one. I want you to ask yourself, why? What causes you to doubt God's welcome? Because here's the thing. Whatever causes you to doubt his welcome is also what you believe and trust in for his acceptance. Let me say that again. Whatever makes you think that God's arms are folded, not wide open, whatever makes you doubt God's welcome is also what you trust for his acceptance. So if you say, I'm not good enough, I've sinned too much, then what you're really saying is I trust morality for acceptance. If you say I'm too inconsistent with my prayer, I don't pray enough, then what you're saying is frequent conversation is what you trust for acceptance. Whatever makes you question his welcome is also what makes you trust in him for his acceptance. If we doubt God's welcome today, we doubt Jesus. If we trust in any other reason, we doubt that Jesus is enough. Whatever you trust in, That's your Savior. If I can be good enough, then God will welcome me. If I can be consistent enough, then God will be pleased with me and delight in my prayers. That is functionally your Savior. But we need to be able to repent of those false idols and false saviors and say, no, in Jesus, in faith in Jesus, because he first loved me, God's arms are wide open to me today. On my best day, Jesus is my only hope, and he welcomes me because of Christ. On my worst day, Jesus is my only hope, and he welcomes me because of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe he welcomes you, it'll be difficult to pray. The second thing, belief in God's sovereignty. So it's not enough to believe that God welcomes you. You have to believe that It it won't make a difference if you think little of him and his power. So belief in God's sovereignty is critical because it's not just anyone who welcomes you to talk to him in the mornings or evenings or throughout your day. It's the one who created you. I'm going to give you some verses here. It's the one who sustains the universe with the power of his word right now, sustaining galaxies and stars with the power of his word. That's Hebrews 1.3. He commands a sun and moon. That's Psalm 50, verse 1. He controls patterns of wind and causes the rain to fall. Psalm Psalm 135, verse 7. 
He's the one who created planets and stars and galaxies and the laws of physics today. He's the one whose power is limitless and controls everything according to the counsel and power of his will. That's what sovereignty means. It's that he has the ultimate and absolute authority and control over everything. Every minute detail. Nothing is outside of his control. We roll the dice, God determines how it lands. Proverbs 16.33. We make our plans, but God establishes our steps. Proverbs 16.9. We make plans in our hearts, but God's purpose is ultimately what prevails. Proverbs 19.21. Okay. So how does that affect our desire to pray? Well, it makes prayer the most sensible thing you can do. Because the one who welcomes you, there is nothing outside of his jurisdiction. There is nothing outside of his control. All those things that frustrate you, all your limitations that you experience, God's in control of that. And when the one who welcomes you is in control of all of those things, then prayer makes sense. I want you to think right now about the things in your life that you have, things that have been frustrating you, but you have not really prayed about it. It could be something simple. It could be something great. Like simple as in like, man, I have a coworker who is just frustrating me so much. Or I have a roommate that I can't stand, and we just keep butting heads. And you've never thought to pray about it. Because maybe you wonder, God doesn't care about it. Maybe it's not really in his control. So there are relational conflicts or work conflicts or roommate conflicts or whatever it is. And you haven't really talked about it because you, you believe God welcomes you, but you think little of him in his power. You see yourself largely in control. So here's the thing. I want you to rate your belief in God's sovereignty. Number one, God has no control over the events of my life. That's at least how I relate to him. He's really not in control. He's leaving it up to me. God has no control over the events of my life. Or God is in control of some of the circumstances, things that are really dire, but not other things. Three, God has authority over everything, but he's not really involved in anything. Or he's involved in the spiritual things, the matters of the heart. Or four, God is in control of all the details of my life and is the most decisive person in every situation and every circumstance. That's a lot. Let me say that again, okay? God is in control of all the details of my life and is the most decisive person in every situation and every circumstance I find myself in. And if that is true, prayer makes sense. It's the most sensible thing we can do. The king of the universe who controls everything welcomes us to go with him with boldness, confidence, and freedom because of Christ. But if you're struggling with that, you're not alone. It leads us to the third point. We need to believe that God welcomes us. We need to believe that God is sovereign. We also need belief in God's goodness. Because you can believe God welcomes you and you can believe he's in control, but you're not going to pray if you don't think he's good. I want you to think about some of the reasons that we struggle with this. One could be we champion our individual freedom and autonomy. The th like when I was reading those verses, I know some of you were probably like, wait a second, where is, where is human free will in this? Or like, where is my, like, that's a separate conversation, all right? And we'd get too sidetracked if we go that route. 
But the point is, you just you, in Western culture, generally, we value our autonomy, our, our being able to be the masters of our own fate and destiny. We, we value our freedom. So we struggle with that. And not just that, every experience of someone who has unrivaled power has led to exploitation, has led to people being abused, taken advantage of. So this idea of God being in complete control is also can, can be offensive. And for some of you, it's actually God's sovereignty that haunts you. I remember times in my life when people wanted to encourage me when there was suffering or loss. They would tell me, hey, listen, God is in control. God is in control. And after some time, I just wanted to tell them, like, you don't understand, that's the problem. Like, that's what's offensive to me, right? He has the power to change my life, but he's not doing it. He has the power to heal this person, but he's not doing it. He has the power to save this person, but he chooses not to. God's sovereignty is what terrorized me. The fact that he can do whatever he wants, but he chooses to let me suffer. Maybe that's you. They're like, yeah, maybe God welcomes me. And yeah, I get it, Jason. I believe he's in control, but that's what actually haunts me. That's the problem. You see, those two things go hand in hand. God's sovereignty and goodness go together. And if you believe in only one of those things, prayer won't make sense. I want you to think about that. If God is in control but he's not good, he's a dictator. He can't be trusted. He's just, he's just putting you at like in a, in a, your life is just like a, a rat in a race, in a maze, trying to find the cheese. And he just wants to see if you figure it out. He wants to put something in your hand and take it away at the last minute. He's in control, but that's how you experience him. He's a dictator. You, you fear his tyranny. He's in control, but he's not good. Others of you? You have it the other way. He's good, but he's not in control. And you're not going to pray either. Because you think he's got all the right intentions, but he doesn't have the power to actually see any of those intentions through. He's got good intentions for your life. I've got great plans, but I can't really say I'm, this is off limits to me. Certain things are out of my hands. So he's not trustworthy. You're not going to pray. The only way prayer makes sense is if you see him as both unrivaled in his sovereignty and unrivaled in his goodness. So here's what I want to ask you today before we go to the next one. What is, which one of those things do you struggle with? Do you struggle to find God trustworthy because you struggle to see him as one in control of your life? Or do you struggle to find God trustworthy because you struggle to see him as someone who's good with his power? And what has led you to do that? Like what events have you experienced in your life to make you question those things? If you don't believe he welcomes you, if you don't believe he's in control, and if you don't believe he's, he's good, you won't pray. That leads to the fourth thing. We want to believe God welcomes us. We want to believe that God is sovereign. We want to believe that God is good, and we want to have belief in our limits. Because you could have those other three things. God welcomes me, he's in control, and he's good, but you're not going to pray if you think you're largely capable of getting through life without him. If you can do it on your own, why ask, right? Like, why, why even bother talking to God if it's something that you can control and if it's something that you can take care of, if you see yourself as a capable person? I want to let you know, Alicia Keys lied to you. New York, concrete jungle where dreams are made of, there's nothing you can't do, right? No, there's a lot of stuff you can't do. It, I mean, I, I'm amazed that you all even showed up on time today. <laughs> like, honestly, like... Uh, the train is late, you left on time, you know, and you still, like, there's so many things on a daily basis 
that frustrate us. I want you to think about, if you, let, let's, let's get some interaction here. I want you to think about the last 24 hours. Tell me something that's frustrated you. Anybody? If they're in the room, don't, don't say it's a friend. <laughs> a noisy neighbor upstairs. Trying to find a good school for you, sister. Any other frustrations last 24 hours? You, losing Wi-Fi. Yeah, that's real. <laughs> Struggle is real. Parking. Walk, walking through Times Square. <laughs> You're right. These frustrations, if, if we don't realize what's happening, we're, we're frustrated because we're coming up against our limits. Man, if I had my way, I could have parking. If I could snap my fingers, I, you know, my sister would be in the school of my dreams, or, you know, I would be able to, the, the, the neighbor would keep the sound like, like at a nice decibel level. Everyone would be gone from Times Square, right? Like, all of our frustrations, what we're doing is we're coming up against our limits. And we don't see those things as invitations to pray. We just get really annoyed and we keep going on with life. And if you don't believe he's in control or he has jurisdiction over those things, you're not going to pray either. We've got train delays. We've got people that, relationships that are challenging. Our t limits with our energy, our time, and our own will to change ourselves. You're not even the person you want to be today, right? You, you wish you could be different or your heart would change. You think about all those things. If you don't realize that, if you don't have an eye for your own limits, prayer is not going to make sense. These are all invitations to go to God and to ask him. So we need an abiding sense of his welcome, his power and sovereignty, his goodness, and our eyes need to be open to our limitations. Like I, 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 I began to leverage my weaknesses, particularly on a Sunday morning for prayer. I used to get frustrated on a Sunday when I had to prepare a sermon and let's say my kids are unruly and I can't get them to do whatever it is that I want to do and I'm coming to church and I want to prepare a sermon. I'm just frustrated. You can't tell, but whatever, I'm frustrated, right? Not today, by the way. <laughs> this, this has happened before. But I began to learn to leverage my weaknesses as opportunities to pray and acknowledge God. I'd say, God, if I can't, if I can't change this toddler, how on earth can I stand before 50 people today or, what, or so? Uh, how can I stand before anyone today and hope that I am enough for whatever it is that they're experiencing? God, I need you. I want you to think about your frustrations and your limits like that. There may be some really big things that you're praying for, but you've got even little frustrations throughout your day that remind you that God is enough and you're wonderfully human and that's okay. That leads us to the last thing. We looked at belief in God's welcome. Belief in his sovereignty, belief in his goodness, belief in our limits. The last thing is belief in God's nearness. I'd love for you to rate your experience of God's nearness right now. Which of these apply to you? God is nowhere to be found in my day. I just don't, I don't, I don't sense him. I just don't believe he's around. I sense his nearness mostly in church environments. So this is great. But at 12 o'clock, 12.05... That's it. I'll see you next week, God. <laughs> I sense his nearness at specific times of the day when I'm praying. But then when that's up and I, I, when I get up and go throughout my day, it's, it's largely out of sight, out of mind. Like I just don't, have, I don't really experience his nearness or his goodness. And the fourth, I sense his nearness throughout the day when I'm reminded of my limits and his goodness. 
I sense his nearness throughout the day when I'm reminded of my limits and his goodness. Here's, here's a challenge, right? Uh, I'm thinking of how to say this. As you pray more, and this goes into like routines and practices, the more you pray, the more you'll be aware with, with certain practices and rituals, the more you'll be aware of God's nearness. So it kind of feeds itself, right? So if you've got certain rituals and routines throughout your day that orient you to God, even if it's a reminder on your phone, hey, just stop and pray. Like talk to God for five seconds about whatever happened in your pre- previously in the last few hours and what's ahead. If you've got even those little things that orient you to God, the more you pray, the more you're going to see him in things. And the less you pray, the less you'll begin to see his activity. There have to be opportunities for you to acknowledge that. But here's the thing, right? You might wonder, well, how does God's belief, belief in his nearness affect the way I pray and the way that those other four beliefs do? Well, it's like this. It's like when my wife and I went uh, on a trip with her family. We got an Airbnb a couple of years ago. And, um, on, uh, and at this home, they had this really large telescope. And we, one night we decided, hey, we're going to go out there and we're going to go and try to work this telescope. And it's not like some just like simple telescope. This was, this was intense, all right? We, I had to look up the instructions and look through a manual. We spent over an hour to try and figure it out, but we saw nothing. We just didn't know what we were looking at, all right? Now, I want you to imagine the same situation and standing behind us the entire time was astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. No, that didn't happen. I'm just saying, I just wanted you to imagine it, right? How long would it take? Do you, how long do you think we would go? It took us an hour before we gave up, before we asked him for help. When we're just aware of his nearness, right? Like someone who is an expert in this. Or let's just take a random non-scientific poll. You're, let's say you're at Whole Foods or Trader Joe's and you need to find something, right? All right. How long before you ask somebody where something is? Someone who works there. Like five minutes? Anybody? Four minutes? Who would do it within like a minute of like, you're there, you can't find it? Yeah, all right, yeah, exactly. And it's like right in front of you, right? The whole time. I just want you to imagine what it would be like if you knew and remembered that there is an expert in life who follows you everywhere you go, who's with you, whose power is limitless, who welcomes you, who's good, and he invites you to pray and ask him if you just knew that he was near. Sometimes we think that prayer and spiritual disciplines is a way to get a distant God to come near. Like, I'm praying and I'm summoning God, right? Like, that's how we think of prayer. Like, we're getting a distant God to come near. That's not really what happens. In prayer, it's when an ever-present God becomes real to you. God was here before we showed up. He's here wherever we go. He's going to be with us even after the benediction today. But prayer and the spiritual disciplines is where an ever-present God becomes real to us. And our hearts come alive to him. This is what it says in Acts 17, 24 through 27. It's on the back of the bulletin here. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth. Get this, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. I want you to think about that. God determined when you would live and where you would live 
so that you would reach out and find him. This was really uh, paradigm shifting for me when I realized, like many of you, if you've come to New York for a reason, like some, to accomplish something in your career, in your education, or in some, something, you, 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 maybe some ambition led you here. You think that this place primarily exists for accomplishment. That's why I'm here. That's why I live now and it's why I live where I am. Primarily for accomplishment. But according to this, what we just read, the primary purpose of where you live and when you live isn't accomplishment, it's discovery. Let me say that again. The primary reason for where you live and when you live is not accomplishment. It's discovery. God placed you here right now in this place so that you would reach out and find him. You would realize that he's not far away. Do you realize he's with us even now? That you can reach out and find him. That this is the staggering invitation. He welcomes us. He's in control of everything. He is good. We are limited. That's a good thing because he is near. I want you to ask yourself, when you think about your struggles to pray, you already have underlying assumptions and beliefs about God, but which one of those would you say you really struggle with? I don't know if he welcomes me. I don't know if he's in control of everything. I don't know if he's really good. I see myself largely as a capable person. And I'm not sure if he's near. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ disrupts all of our unbelief. It shouts to us that God welcomes sinners. The worst of us, whose hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. The gospel tells us that God was sovereign in history. In the death of Jesus Christ, when the Son of God is naked Mar beyond human recognition to a, to a cross. Even in that moment of poverty and vulnerability and death, the plans and purposes of God were still being accomplished. If God was in control then, why wouldn't he be in control of your life now? God is so good with his power that even when life does not work out the way that we thought, the Bible tells us that if God did not withhold his own son, what good thing would he ever really withhold from you? if it's really good for you. It tells us that we are so needy, far more than we could ever imagine, more incapable than we could imagine. The cross tells us that we needed a Savior and God was sufficient to provide for us. We are more needy and more limited than we ever want to admit. You can admit your limits when you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it tells us that not only is God everywhere, but he's willing to come near to take on our skin take on flesh, die in our place. That's how committed he is and willing he is to draw near to us now. And if that's true, if he welcomes us, if he's in control, if he's good, and we have limits today, and if he's here with us now, why wouldn't we pray? Can we do that now? Let's pray.